0: If you had a chance to um, look at Hebrews 2, I just want to read beginning with verse um, 9 in Hebrews 2. And then we'll go to uh, Hebrews 10. I have a little more scripture to read this morning than normal, but um, feel that we, we need to. So beginning in verse 9... Of Hebrews 2. I'm reading from the English Standard Version this morning. We see Him, that's Christ, who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God He might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers saying, For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Now, chapter 10 of Hebrews. Verse 1. This is a little longer passage. But follow here. This is the Hebrews, by the way, much of the scripture we've been using regarding the atonement is prophetic. It's before it happened. It's Isaiah. It's the Old Testament. Hebrews is looking back on the cross and explaining what the cross did, what Christ now is, um, is to us having already gone through the sufferings and is seated at the right hand of the Father. So you have um, a prior view and then a a view looking back. Since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, those that are in the Old Testament, there is a reminder of sins every year. This is specifically speaking of the Day of Atonement. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Doesn't mean that the Old Testament sacrificial system was unnecessary. God instituted it in order that he might show a type and an illustration and an object lesson of what ultimately would be the sacrifice for sins, his own son. So, it was not unnecessary, but it was insufficient. It merely illustrated what was to come. Three, <clears throat> or five, Consequently, when Jesus came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, this is Christ speaking, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written in of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, quote, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law, then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first, that is, the Old Testament system, in order to establish the second, that's Christ's atonement. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. For where there is forgiveness of these, there's no longer any offering for sin. Now, <clears throat> if Jesus was going to be an adequate atonement for us, these scriptures that we read speak to the various things He had to experience. And so I want to look at four different things Jesus had to experience in order to make an adequate atonement for us. This is why, if you ever get to it, read Hebrews. Hebrews is one of the most frequent words you'll see in Hebrews is better. A better sacrifice than the blood of sheep, goats and bulls, a better atonement therefore a better high priest than the ones that ministered in the old testament perpetually offering offerings we have a better way better promises hebrews points to all because we have a better atonement we have not the blood of bulls and goats but we have the blood of the everlasting Son. Now, he then first had to take on a body like ours. That's the first requirement to be an adequate atonement. had to take on a body like us to do these things. One, to experience and triumph over temptation. Which he did. Tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. Two, Jesus had to experience the fallenness of human flesh. Now, by fallenness, I'm talking about consequences of sin, not sin itself. But because we, as a race, fell into sin therefore we are blighted we're weakened we're deficient we're defective we are um, not what we originally were made Jesus then had to experience all of what we experience Jesus got tired Jesus got hungry Jesus needed a place to sleep and didn't have it, had no place to lay his head. It's not recorded, but it has to have been. Jesus had to have had the flu sometime, gotten a cold. He experienced everything as humans that we experience. All of the mundane things of our lives he had to experience. Third, he had to also experience the, especially to him, the abyss, the pit of wickedness of this world that he faced as the holy, clean, pure Son of God. What what a cessation. Pool he descended into from heaven. We often talk maybe Thursdays on after Wednesday night, the youth, and we'll talk about how the kids are doing, both high school and junior high will often talk about them in what they face. And how some of our kids will send a text to either Dan or Tanner about what they're facing at school, what they're hearing all the time. And even in some cases now, in the way the culture's gone today, they hear some of the language, not from the kids, but also from some of their lousy teachers. It's amazing and grieving what, what we go out and face every day. But it's nothing like what Jesus faced. Jesus left the halls of heaven where the angels sang, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty. Not a single, not a single Curse word, off color comment, filthy joke, nothing pure and Jesus came down to face that so do you know what? he had to, but he can therefore walk the halls of the schools with our high school kids because he knows he but he had to so he could experience what he's sending his own people into when he redeems them and sends them back into that kind of culture. He had to experience that himself. Fourth, he had to experience and fulfill the Old Testament type of the sacrifice, not anymore of sheep and goats and bulls but he had to have a body and we read here he said you O God have prepared a body for me what does he mean there Jesus had to inhabit a body so that he could shed its blood and fulfill the Old Testament type that the blood of a sheep goat bull was shed as a covering for sin that only illustrated it was insufficient but it illustrated the coming shedding of blood of the son of God he had to have a human body in order to shed his blood and he makes the statement very clearly in John chapter 10 17 and 18 no man takes my life from me. He said, I take up my life. I lay down my life. I have the power, he said, to do this. And so often even when we talk about the atonement and the cross and the suffering of Jesus, Jesus is sometimes portrayed as a helpless victim. He was never helpless. The only sense in which he would have been helpless was that he had to fulfill the Scripture. And so, even in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he brought up, if, this, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But he said, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. In that sense, he could do no other. But men didn't take his life from him even though they nailed him to a cross, he said, I lay it down and I take it up. Even when he died on the cross, he, it says, yielded up his spirit. So he never was not voluntarily in control. Now the second thing that he had to experience... He had to voluntarily take on himself the wrath that was due to us. Not being actually ever guilty for the sins that were laid upon him. But he felt, to some degree, he felt the guilt. He wasn't guilty. Sometimes people, I've heard preachers say, he became guilty for all the sins of the whole... No, he didn't. No, he wasn't guilty. He didn't do anything. Guilt is not transferable. Jesus became sin or a sin offering on behalf of the guilt of others. The innocent suffered for the guilty. Had he been somehow guilty, then it would have been an insufficient sacrifice. He would have really deserved it, but he didn't. That's why it was effective. Jesus had to voluntarily take on our guilt. Second, he suffered physical death as a penalty due to us and a penalty for sin now let me why do i say that the death he suffered was not natural death if jesus could only only needed to identify with us in also going through death well he could have lived to be 80 and died of old age The death he suffered on the cross was not a natural death. It was not um, by a disease. It was punishment. It was a penalty. It was the paying of a penalty that was due to us. Yet he stood in our place and on our behalf took it. So that's also what makes Jesus' death different Third, and by the way, we notice this. The death Jesus died for us didn't exempt the righteous, the Christians, those who by faith appropriate the benefits of the atonement. It didn't exempt us from physical death. We still die. We're not going to get out of that. The only way we get out of that is we're carried into heaven on a chariot of fire like Elijah. He didn't die. Enoch walked with God and was not for God took him. He didn't die. Or we're living when Christ returns and instantly, it says in the twinkling of an eye, changes our mortal bodies into an immortal body. That's the only way we're not going to end up at Mount Pisgah or somewhere else. Okay. So even though Jesus died for us physically, He didn't die to exempt us from physical death. He undoes it with the resurrection. But we still face death. So it tells us this was way more than just a physical death that Jesus died. It had... Far deeper meaning. <clears throat> now, I want you to really listen to this. And the longer I read the scripture and hopefully think accurately, I'm not minimizing at all the physical sufferings that Jesus endured. As part of the penalty. But for Jesus to provide for me full redemption, He had to experience, as I mentioned earlier, He felt the guilt. He wasn't guilty, but He felt the guilt of sin weighing on His soul on our behalf. But further than that, the real death that Jesus experienced, to some degree, was the, the death that is better defined in Scripture as separation from God. In other words, to some degree, Jesus felt the pangs of being in hell and separated from God. He felt what a lost soul feels, because that's the ultimate thing he died for. He didn't primarily die to save us from poison oak or some 5,000 other kinds of ailments that we pray desperately over that God will heal us. I'm, I, I want to be healed if I've got something, but he didn't die to exempt us from physical death. The real death he died and died for was separation from the Father. That's what he died for. That's what, that's what wrenched his soul in the garden of Gethsemane. While he prayed and sweat, as it were, great drops of blood, it was not the physical pains anticipating those that put Jesus in. He said, my soul is troubled even unto death. That's how heavy my heart is. What was he anticipating with that deep kind of apprehension and Dread that's indescribable. It was not just the physical effects of the nails and the spear and the crown of thorns. It was knowing that he faced however long of a period where he, he experienced what it means to be cut off from God in hell. Or he couldn't redeem us from that. That's what caused him to sweat drops of blood in Gethsemane. as he. And that's what he prayed. If it's possible, let this cup pass from me. We always seem to focus on the physical pain of the cross. Not that there wasn't any. But that Paled to very little. In the face of facing separation from God, he felt the torments of hell. Now, that that brings us really to the core of what it cost Jesus. At least a temporary separation from His Father. And there I know we have the mystery of the Trinity there. But there was, we could put it this way, and I admit to being in deep water here, because there's much that's not revealed in Scripture. But there was a Honestly, there was some kind of wrenching of the Trinity in this costly death. That's that's what cost Jesus. It's what also we look at Jesus as paying a cost. Obviously, he did. So did the Father. So when the Father said, I love the world that I gave my Son, it included It included His suffering to offer His own Son to go through that suffering. I don't know if I'm making much sense or not, but I hope so. The death on the cross then is... Far more costly and far more filled with meaning than I think we recognize. I read this morning too, and you ought to do this too read Psalm 22. Psalm 22, Psalm by David, is amazing for the. Jesus quoted. The first verse of Psalm 22 on the cross when at that very moment that he felt what it meant to be a damned soul cut off from God facing outer darkness because he quoted the first line My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? From Psalm 22 David goes on in that psalm and he quotes what the Pharisees and the scribes were saying and the chief priests gathered around the base of the cross when they said, he trusted in God, let him rescue him. David said that. He said, my enemies say, he, David, he trusts in God. let him deliver. Him. Then David goes on, later in that same psalm, describing the enemies against him, he said, "They divided my garments among me and cast lots for my clothing." What a psalm. A thousand years ahead of calvary the very words and jesus to keep the scripture jesus is the one who said the scripture can't be broken i must do this to fulfill the scripture quoted that that psalm why hast thou forsaken me in that moment he felt that loss tells us then that that's what he died That's primarily what he died to deliver us from. Not physical death. But it's what Revelation calls the second death. The second death is spiritual death, separation from God, made permanent. If I die in the condition of being spiritually separated from God, that Status between me and God is fixed for eternity. It cannot and never will be undone. For all eternity, I'll be separated from God. That's why weeping, wailing, gnashing of teeth is one of the places, one of the ways Jesus described it. Another another phrase is to be cast into outer darkness. No light at all. This is the depth of what we face because of sin, and therefore Jesus had to experience it in order to be able to save us out of it. Now, the third thing that Jesus had to do he had to experience and he had to exemplify the faith and the dependence that he requires of us he had to experience that himself he had to walk by faith as he was a man on this earth so what does that mean well I mentioned Gethsemane He prayed, not my will, but thine be done. Why did he pray that? First, because it was right, but it's because he requires that you and I pray that same prayer and have that same attitude of heart. Lord, not my will, but thine be done. He cannot and would never require of you and I a level of surrender to Him if He didn't also experience that and be an example of it, of submitting to the Father. Another scripture, on the cross, the ultimate faith into your hands, He said. Speaking of the Father, I commit my spirit. Ultimate act of faith into your hands, I commit my spirit." Then Peter quotes in his Pentecost sermon. But Peter talks about how on the cross, Jesus, and we don't see that he says this, but under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Peter said that Christ suffering death relied on God's promise you will not allow your holy one your son to see decay you won't leave me in death I trust you to bring me back from the dead in three days so he experienced and is an example of all that he requires of us In faith, dependence, obedience, suffering. Finally, the fourth thing. He had to go through all of this. That he would be his life, death, resurrection. That he would be qualified as the perfect high priest. This is why we don't have the Old Testament high priests anymore and in the proper sense of the term we don't have priests on earth I don't need a priest on earth I now have an eternal priest in the heavens and he, Hebrews also says he ever lives to make intercession for us to plead our case this is what a high priest does a high priest, in a many ways, has a two-fold direction of their role. One is to represent the people to God. How could Jesus represent fallen, broken, sinful, lost, separated humans to a holy God if he never lived what we go through? He had to partake of flesh as I read in Hebrews because we're in the flesh. So he came to us so that he could then take us to him. And the high priest not only represents me to God, but he represents God to me. There's a two-way reconciliation, then I'll quit. We ran across that strange word again in the scripture that we read this morning. Propitiation. He is a propitiation. It's a reconciling. It is an appeasing of the wrath of an offended person, in this case, God. And there's two words that are kind of buried in that one word. uh, Propitiation is to Make reconciliation of God to us. We are offensive to God because we've sinned. The sacrifice, now think with me here, the sacrifice makes God, it changes God's attitude toward us because the penalty due us has been met. It was met by his guiltless son. But the penalty has been met. His wrath is appeased. But, though he's reconciled to us, it remains yet for us to be reconciled to him. And that takes place only on an individual personal basis, one by one, as we repent turn from that which is offensive to God which is our willful sinning and we then are reconciled to him i hope all i hope the i hope the pure gold of this truth sinks into our hearts we almost like Job I think when God finally appeared to Job at the end of his long trial he said I, seeing the glory of God and the faithfulness of God and all that Job just said I lay my hand on my mouth do you see why people all through scripture in the presence of God or even what they thought was an angel or whatever fell on their faces If we once get a hold of the depths of God's graciousness, holiness, love, and his gift and sacrifice for us, it ought to put us on our face. Let's bow our heads. And I want you to just let let this as much as you can Stay on your heart and mind. Mull it over. Ponder it. Dan, if you'll come and dismiss us with prayer. Father in heaven, there's times when I come up to pray that I don't want to pierce my voice with the quietness of this sanctuary because I know you're at work. So I just simply do this today, Lord, in the overwhelming information we just received this morning of truth, of what you allowed your son to go through, Father, I pray that it would strengthen us but give us a deeper desire, Lord, to get to know you more, but to live by your grace for your glory when we leave this place. We are your children. You are our God, and we praise you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Love you guys. You're dismissed. Have a great day, everyone.